good to be back in the Lord's house. It's uh, been a good week, and uh, I uh, pray that each and every one of you will have a happy new year. Uh, here in a day or so, Lord willing, we will see, uh, I don't know, the apple, the ball, or whatever they call it, drop, and uh, we'll be off to the races in 2019. It seems like the years fly by a lot quicker now, the older I get. It seems just like yesterday it was 2018. <laughs> and so, anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing on our time and His Word this morning. Father, we do thank You for the opportunity to be in Your house. God, I pray that You'll use this message to encourage our hearts. God, that You'll use this message to challenge us. God, that we'll walk away from Your house today different than when we walked in. God, that we might be able to serve you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. God, that we might be strengthened because of your word. God, I pray for the person here today that needs healing in their life. God, whether it be physical healing, financial healing, spiritual healing, God, I pray that you'll reach down from the very portals of heaven, God, and do only that which you can do. God, I pray for the person here this morning that maybe has never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into their life. God, I pray that today would be that day that they trust Christ, that they repent of their sin, God, and then that they enter into that new relationship that God has offered to us because of your amazing love. God, I pray that you'll have your will and your way during this time. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor for it all. In Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen and amen. So as you can see, the title slide is up. We're talking about resolutions. Today we're starting a new series, Resolutions Before You Decide. I want to talk to you on the subject of before you make a decision on a New Year's resolution that we just stop for a minute and hear what maybe the Lord has to say to us this morning. Let me start by asking, how many in this room have ever made a New Year's resolution? Let me see your hands. All right. Nobody else wants to get in there. Some of y'all, y'all are afraid to even say you made a New Year's resolution. All right, now let me follow it up. <laughs> How many of you have actually followed through on those New Year's resolutions all the way 365 days that following year? <laughs> wow. For those who are listening online, the answer was none. <laughs> all right. We had a lot of people raise their hand and said they made New Year's resolutions but nobody raised their hand and said that they ever kept their resolution. But doesn't it seem like every year we get to this time and it's about this same time that people everywhere begin to contemplate. They begin to evaluate things. They, they begin to strategize some new resolution that they're going to make. And, and by the way, all of them are well intended, I'm sure. Even though most resolutions only last, if you look at the statistics, most resolutions only last about three days to three weeks. It's, a, it's somewhere in there. Sometimes people do better and they last a few weeks. Sometimes it's only a couple of days and they've given up on the resolution. And so uh, I like what someone said. Someone said the weakness of most New Year's resolutions is that they simply go in one year and out the other. Well, if you don't like that one, someone else said this. said resolutions are like babies crying in the church. They must be carried out to be good. <laughs> oh, listen... Listen, don't change the channel because I want to talk to you on resolutions. But it's important, guys. It's important that we understand what a resolution is. If you look up resolution in the dictionary, you'll find that it simply means this, a firm decision to do or not to do something. 
I'm going to resolve to do something or I'm going to resolve not to do something. That's where we find the definition. Many times people resolve every year. I hear this all the time. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to eat healthier. I'm going to get into better physical condition. Anybody been there, done that? Some of you are thinking, that's my New Year's resolution this year. How did he know? <laughs> I don't know. So other people make resolutions like this. They say, well, my, I'm going to resolve this year to save more money. I'm going to spend less. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to become financially independent. <laughs> I've always wondered why many of these resolutions that I just alluded to always seem to be about losing weight, exercising, and money. I mean, I, I've never heard many people make resolutions that, uh, that, that really, you know, really are seriously minded uh, other than, uh, here's the thing, they're, they're, most of our resolutions, if I can, we're all family, and if you're visiting your family with us today, praise the Lord, most of our resolutions, if we're not, if we're not, if we're honest, they're about me, aren't they? I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Most of the resolutions that we make are me-centered. I want to lose more weight. I want to make more money. I want to do this. I want to do that. And if we're not careful, we get our focus so much on the me, me, me that we forget the he, he, he. Right? We start thinking that, hey, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. And then we forget the power with which we need to do it. See, typically we never consult the Lord at all when it comes to these type of resolutions. However, I believe that we would all benefit if we would start the new year out. You say, well, you only need one message in a series on resolutions. No, I want us to start the new year by looking at resolutions in a whole different way. I think that we would all benefit if we looked at some spiritual resolutions that if we're really honest, we would all benefit from. Think about making some spiritual resolutions personally. Anybody need a personal spiritual resolution? Maybe you don't want to admit it. Maybe we need to make some spiritual resolutions in our family atmosphere. Spiritual resolutions to deal more honestly and biblically with conflict. I talk to couples all the time. I meet with couples many times. And, and the number one thing that I deal with when I counsel with couples is conflict resolution. See, and the reason we have to have conflict resolution is because we're all driven many times by our own anger, by our own pride, by our own selfishness. And so these attitudes permeate the home, and then we want to wonder why God isn't blessing. Maybe we need to make some spiritual resolutions this year concerning our management of time, the management of our abilities, spiritual resolutions about how we could serve the Lord, how we might serve one another in a greater way. Maybe we need to look at spiritual resolutions as to why Biblical finance reforms in the home would reap rewards beyond our wildest imaginations and expectations. Spiritual resolutions regarding how we communicate. And not only how we communicate, I'm not just talking about this way, but maybe we need to make some spiritual resolutions how we communicate vertically. See, because if we're not communicating this way the correct way, you can forget about communicating this way the right way. See, there has to be the vertical communication before we ever hope to communicate horizontally. My point is this, folks. I truly believe, I truly believe that we could resolve to make some good spiritual resolutions that will reap rewards. And I actually believe that if we really want to succeed, 
you know what I mean, go beyond the three-day to the three-week window, if we really want to succeed when it comes to making spiritual resolutions, then we ought to hold off from making resolutions that are based on what we want and begin to consider maybe some resolutions that would be according to what the Lord wants. I know there's been people down through times, and you may have sit in a church before, you may have sat in a place of worship where a pastor or a teacher has said that they don't believe in making spirit or, or, or resolutions, that it's not a biblical thing to make resolutions. I would disagree. I would disagree with that. Some, I've heard some preachers say, well, I don't, know, I don't agree with New Year's resolutions. Here's where I would come in on that. I don't think that you ought to wait till January the 1st to get right with God. I don't think that you ought to wait till January the 1st to, re, to, to resolve to do what's right. But... Let me put a big caveat there. However, if you and I are given an opportunity in the next two days to really to resolve to make some needed changes, oh man, I think that's a great thing to do. Listen, no matter whether it falls on January the 1st, uh, December the 30th, whenever it falls, listen, no, I don't believe that you need to wait till the new year, but man, when the Lord presents us with an opportunity, I just think we ought to buy it up. In fact, I, I look at Scripture, in fact, uh, guys, if you'll throw up Titus 2.11, the Apostle Paul reminds us, I know some guys say, well, resolutions aren't right. Well, Titus 2.11 reminds us that the grace of God that bringeth salvation appears to all men. Well, if you read verse number 12, verse 12 says that God's grace actually teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and that you and I should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so think about this. Resolution, what did I say it is? It's a firm decision to do or not to do something. A firm decision. That means a committed decision. Well, verse number 12 says that the God of salvation that's appeared to all man, verse number 11, is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we might live soberly, righteously, uh, and godly in this present world. I see a couple of resolutions there. If, if the grace of God that has brought salvation has appeared to us, we've received that salvation, we have a resolution that we need to make as believers to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. But we also have another resolution just in this one simple verse that we would live soberly unto ourselves, righteously uh, unto others, and then also godly to our Creator. Think about this. There's, there's, a, there's a process here in God's Word that I see I'm convinced that making resolutions can be a good thing. I just think we need to be sensitive as to why we're making it and for who we're making it. Remember, when I say that I'm going to uh, go on a diet, typically that's because I look in the mirror and I see I don't like what I see. If I say that I'm going to exercise more, it's typically because I'm sitting in the lazy boy chair and I realize that I'm not moving as fast as I used to move, right? And so the same thing. If I say that I'm going to cut my spending, it's because I know that I already have a spending problem. If I say that I'm going to resolve to whatever it is, spend less, then I know that I have a spending issue. I know that I'm spending too much time at Kohl's or whatever, right? And so we understand why we make these things. I just think we ought to consider why we're making a resolution and then ultimately, is it really for me or should we resolve to do what we do for God and for His honor and for His glory? And so the question is, where is our focus? But before we decide on any resolution, I believe we should take time to review 
And that's where we get to our text today. I think that we ought to review where we are right now, where we've been the past year, and you say, man, I wasn't hoping for this message. I was hoping for a feel-good message on December 30th, looking forward into the new year. This is a feel-good message. But we have to take time to review where are we so that we can know where we actually need to go. In fact, I've tried to permeate this idea and told folks at Thanksgiving, I want Battlefield this year. I want us to be focused on bringing hope to our community and to the world. Hope, helping other people eternally. And so what is it going to take for you and I to help other people eternally? I think that we have to be serious when it comes to the things of God. And so as we review ingratitude, we ought to give God the glory for the things that he's done. We ought to, listen, we shouldn't wait till Thanksgiving, right? We shouldn't wait till the month of November to have 30 days of Thanksgiving. We ought to give God the glory each and every day that we wake up. But I also believe, and this is where most people like to run for the border, so to speak. They like to hide in the corners. They don't want to listen to this. I also think that not only in gratitude should we give God the glory, I think that in repentance, that's a, that's a harsh word, but in repentance we should weep. We should weep over the times that we were unwilling to obey. We should weep over the times that we were slow to cooperate with God. We should weep over the times that we failed to listen to that still, small voice of God that was speaking to us and calling us, saying, tell that neighbor of yours about Jesus. Tell him about Jesus. Tell him about Jesus. And we, and we failed to do it. See, I think we need to, in repentance, look back. See, I want to be better. I always want to be better. You know, a lot of people, you look around, people have two choices. I see people, they either get bitter or they get better. We live in a land of bitterness today. I see people getting bitter about everything under the sun, and yet God wants us to be better. I want to be better. And so if I know that I want to be better, then I have to be willing to make some spiritual resolutions. But I was talking with my wife, and I was kind of ascertaining all the folks that are in this room. And so maybe you're here, or maybe you've been listening online, and maybe for you the past year has been amazing. Maybe you're here and you say, I've walked with the Lord. I, I've not forsaken the Lord. I, I've walked with Him. I've brought Him honor and glory. I don't feel, Pastor, that I need to make any spiritual resolutions. I would encourage you to keep on giving God the glory and the honor that He so richly deserves, but I'd also be careful don't get the halo on too tight. If you think that you have arrived, then you probably haven't, right? But maybe you're here and you say, well, life hasn't been amazing. This year's been a struggle. I have not walked with the Lord. I've spent too much, I, haven't, I haven't even spent much time talking with the Lord. I, I, I've not, uh, my thoughts, my words, my actions haven't been that which have brought him glory. And so for me, I, I'm over on the opposite side. It hasn't been amazing for me. Well, maybe... For some it's been amazing, maybe for some it hasn't been so amazing, and then maybe there's some of us who are kind of in between. There have been the highs and lows of life. There have been times when we walked with the Lord, and then there's been times when we were slow to cooperate, slow to listen, as I mentioned a few moments ago. No matter where we find ourselves on the spectrum, no matter how much I have blown it, today, yesterday, or this past year, the wonderful thing that I find in Scripture is that God has a glorious history of restoring and using people just like me and people just like you. People who have made mistakes. You know, I said mistakes. 
because I wanted to be sensitive to people like me who have sinned, people like all of us who have sinned. God has a glorious history of using people like that. We were talking about the Apostle Paul in our class. But today, I want us to look at David. I'm reminded of the, of the man David. We know David was a man after God's own heart. But we also know David succumbed to the sinful desires of the flesh. And the results, if you know that story, you know that the results of David's sinful escapade, if you please, with Bathsheba, wreaked havoc in his lives. And while we don't have time, and I don't want to go through the whole entire story, you know that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, that whole story is chronicled for us. But I want you to notice this. I want you to notice and be reminded of what started it all. Look at verse 1, guys. If you'll show me verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. Right At the times king go forth the battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But notice the last words of that verse. It says, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. The long story short here is that David neglected his responsibilities. The verse says at the time that kings went forth to battle. Who was the king of Israel at this time? Was Joab king? No, David was responsible to be where he needed to be, but what he did was he delegated. Now listen, delegation is great at times, but at other times, listen, we have to do what our job is to do. Listen, when we fail to be where God has led us to be and we fail to do what God has asked us to do, we open up ourselves to many foolish, hurtful lusts, right? We open ourselves up to a world that we don't want to mess with. And so the quick version of the rest of the story is some who are my age or older might remember Paul Harvey used to say, is that David looks with lust on Bathsheba while she's bathing. He brings her to the palace. He engages in this adulterous affair. Bathsheba conceives. Bathsheba sends word to David that she's pregnant. And so David, he responds immediately by trying to hide his sin. By the way, isn't that what we do? Didn't I... I did that when I was a kid. I've been doing that since I was a little kid. I remember one time my brother and I were doing something that we shouldn't have been doing in the garage. And the next thing you know, a window broke in the garage. And so I, con I conceived this entire beautiful, thought-out story that I was going to tell my dad. I wish I could tell you that my dad bought my story. He did not. And he let that weapon of mass instruction give me some instructions on lying. This is exactly what David did. He tried to cover his tracks. Listen, he brings Uriah home. You know the story. He brings Uriah home from the battle. He says, Uriah, man, you're doing such a great job. I want to give you a little R&R. &R. Well, you didn't bring anybody else home. You still got Joab and all the armies out of Israel out there battling. And so he brings Uriah home and he says, oh, go on down. Go on down and be with your wife and, and eat and drink and be merry and have a good time. And Uriah refuses to do it. You know the story. Uriah stays at the palace and then the next day David says, oh, go on down there and be with you. And he still refuses that while Joab and the others are out at war, he will not. He will not go to his home. And so you know what David does, right? David writes a little note. He signs the note, seals the note, and then he hands it to Uriah. And he says, hey, Uriah, when you get back there, he says, you take this note and you give it to Joab. Verse 15 tells us about the note. 
in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Notice what it says. And he wrote, and he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the front, forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. You see, after his sin with Bathsheba, David plots out every small deal of his cover-up, including the eventual death of her husband. Oh, we have to be so careful when it comes to our sin. Listen, known as David's penitent prayer, Psalm 51, where Travis read earlier, Psalm 51 is actually the passage that kind of chronicles David's review of the situation. And if you're a note-taker, I want you to notice his review he, he chronicles his review, it, it chronicles his repentance, it chronicles his restoration, but it also tells us about his resolution. And so I want to encourage you, before you make a resolution, before you decide what the resolution is that you need to make, and maybe for some it needs to be this thing, maybe for someone else you have something else that you need to resolve to do, I want you to see what David did in this text. Notice first of all, David, he appeals to God for mercy. The first thing he does when he reviews is he appeals to God for mercy. What's amazing about Psalm 51, I was reading the other day and I read how F.B. Meyer, F.B. Meyer's talking about Psalm 51. He said, it's a ladder which climbs out from the horrible pit with its miry clay into the heights of sunny joy where the song breaks from the forgiven pendant. It is the cry of the wayward sheep which has been torn by the briars hassled or hurried by the wild dogs, drenched in the morass, but which the shepherd has found and brought home rejoicing. And then he says these words, he says, this path, speaking of the path David was on, this path has been worn by myriads of penitent people down through the ages. Oh, listen, this is where we find David. David, he looks at his review and look at verse number one. He immediately appeals to God for mercy. And look at verse one. Notice what David writes. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto thy multitude of tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. You see, has anybody here ever sinned? Four of you, congratulations. The rest of us are liars. Let me ask you a question. After you have sinned, if we're going to be honest, we've sinned, right? After you've sinned, has anybody ever felt the weight of that sin? Honest. Come on, guys. Be honest. Have you ever felt like, like somebody's like pressing upon you? Like, I can't get out from under it. That's exactly how David felt. You see, after David sinned with Bathsheba, he actually writes about how the sin affected him over in Psalm 32. You see, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are written about the same period of time, about his same sinful interlude with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 32, in verse number 3 and 4, what I want you to notice is David wrote this. He says, when I kept silent, my bones waxed old through the roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. He says, listen, the deceitful of, deceitfulness of sin is no joke. Sin, listen, it takes us farther than we want to go. We know the saying, takes us farther than we want to go. It keeps us longer than we want to stay. And in the end, sin costs us way more than we're willing to pay. David's sin with Bathsheba ended up costing him dearly. 
And folks, I can't help but to think, what has our sin cost us in 2018? Did our sinful attitudes cost us the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with somebody who was watching us? Who was looking at us and said, this person tells me they're a believer in Jesus Christ, but I have no use for them because I see they're a hypocrite, right? Oh, it's so important. How does our sinfulness affect us, not just David? You see, look at the progression here in verse 1 of David's appeal. He's appealing to God's character. Look at, he says, he appeals to God for mercy. The first thing in verse number 1, he appeals to God for mercy. And then it moves from mercy to loving kindness. God is love and God is kind. So David sandwiches those, those characteristics together and he appeals to God's loving kindness, but then he takes it up a further notch. And when he appeals to God's multitude of his tender mercies. I'm aware and I hope you're aware that the pardon of sin is only because of God's mercy. God not giving you and I what we deserve. That's why we're pardoned. That's why we can be... Well, that's why we can be sinners who are saved by grace because of God's amazing grace and his mercy, right? Grace, right? Giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy, withholding what we do deserve. The punishment I do deserve. That's why I, when, I used, when I was a little kid, I would appeal to my dad in the home for mercy. I'm like, mercy, mercy. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but you get the picture. David says, God, I need you to show me mercy. I need, he says, because see, David knew he was getting ready to repent. He knew he was getting ready to acknowledge his sinfulness, right? And so he says, before I even acknowledge my sinfulness, God, I need you to understand that I'm calling upon your mercy. I need you to give me what I don't deserve. I'm calling on your full compassion, God, in this situation of my life. In fact, he he talks about, in the last part of verse 1, he says, blot out my transgressions. What he says there, he says, God, I need you to erase. I need you to eliminate or obliterate my sinful transgressions. In verse number 2, look at verse number 2. He continues his prayer by saying, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me. For David, it's not enough for God to blot out the sin. He says, God, I need you to wash me. In fact, the phrase there literally means multiply multiply to wash me and so I remember when I was a little kid anybody ever been washed by their grandmother I know you have anybody ever have a grandmother that used to rub the soap on the wash rag like feverishly feverishly like I remember Lil she was rubbing that soap on there like she was trying to kill the wash rag the sad thing was that thing was coming for me next I was like I was like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Because she would tell us, she was like, Big John. Remember, they called me Big John. My name wasn't John or Big or anything, but they would call me Big John. They'd go in there, go in there and wash yourself. And so I'd go in there. I'd come out, and, and she would know that I hadn't washed because she'd come up and smell. And if I didn't smell like ivory soap, she was taking matters in her own hand. And she'd take that wash rag, and she'd scrub behind my ears. And it felt, guys, it felt to me like the skin was about to come off. <laughs> this is what David's asking God to do. He says, multiply to wash me. He says, you scrub. Whatever you got to do, God, you just keep scrubbing. You scrub to get me clean. 
That's what he's saying. He's saying, wash me. Look, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The reason he says cleanse me, he says, God, if washing won't get the job done, then you just do whatever you got to do to get me clean. And when we're going to be honest with God, if we're going to review how we're living today, how we've lived this last week, how we've lived this last month, how we've lived this last year, then we got to be willing to say, God, wash me thoroughly. And if that's not good enough, God, then cleanse me. Because I want to be rid of this sin. See, David, in his review of his life situation, the fact that he had hid his sin, and not only did he hide it, if you know the rest of the story, Nathan only goes to David after about a year. The baby's already born. The child that, that Bathsheba gave birth to has already been born. And so we know the, the repercussions of it, right? The rest of the story. But David, he appeals to God to rid him of all of his sin. And he did so without regard to the process. God, if it takes you rubbing the skin off of me, you get me clean. God, if it takes you to punish me in ways that I don't agree with, you just do what you got to do to get me clean. Is this how we appeal to God? See, before we make a New Year's resolution, we have to review where we're at right now. Secondly, not only did David review, but he repented. Look at verse 3 and 4. He said, for I acknowledge my transgression. He says, I know that I'm a sinner. And notice the, notice the personal pronouns. He's got I and my and my and me. And so he says, God, he says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You see, the Lord already knows that David's a sinner. But here in these verses, we see that David actually recognizes his sinful actions. He's not trying to hide them, excuse them, or blame anybody else for them, which is what we typically try to do. We commit a sin and we want to blame everybody else for our sin. You're right? Isn't that what, isn't that what Adam and Eve did in the garden? As soon as, as, soon as the Lord says, Oh, yo, yo, lehiho, where y'all at? Adam said, uh, That woman you gave me did it. Right? He started casting blame, and, and then Eve says, And, and that, that, that serpent made me do it. Right? We start blaming everybody else except for our own selves. David doesn't do that. What's so sad about this story, folks, is look at the last words of verse 4. He says, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil. Notice those last three words. He says, in thy sight. In thy sight. David said, I did that there in your sight. Not, not even the majesty and presence of God could keep David from doing what he was going to do. He was so bent on sinning, which is why sin is such a heinous thing. C.S. Spurgeon once said this. He said, the virus of sin lies in opposition to God. He went on to say, all of David's wrongdoing centered, culminated, and came to a climax at the foot of the divine throne of God. You see, before David could resolve to do anything new, he had to review his situation. He had to repent of his transgressions. Listen, God is not interested in empty apologies, cheap promises, or half-hearted resolutions. In fact, verse number 17 of Psalm 51, which will not get that far today, but look down at verse number 17. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. That's what God wants. Is my, is my heart broken for the things of God? This is exactly what he wants. In fact, the wise man Solomon said in Proverbs 28, verse 13, notice what he says. He says, he that covereth his sins, what does it say? Shall not prosper. 
But whoso confesseth and forsake them shall have mercy. Oh, listen, the memory of David's sin haunted him, and so he acknowledges it, and he repents of it. But notice, here's what he does. He's taking a review, he repents, but now he's asking God. When, he, when he's thinking about restoration, he asks God to do what only God can do. You can't restore yourself, and I can't restore myself. But Jesus can. Jesus can restore us. And so David asked for God to do what he can do. Look at verse 7 and following. In verse 7 and following, the Bible says, purge me with hyssop. There again, he's saying, thoroughly scrub me, Lord. He says, and I shall be clean. By the way, when he says purge me with hyssop, interesting little fun fact for you, David is actually alluding to the purification process of a leper. He's saying, just as a leper must be uh, present himself to a priest to be declared clean, he says, I'm asking you, God, to purge me with hyssop and then notice what he says, and I shall be clean. He believes that if God does this, then the result will be his cleanness. Watch, he keeps on. He says, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow, Isaiah 1, 18. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness, verse 8, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Remember what he says in verse 32, right? That his bones waxed old, right? Verse number 9, he says, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then verse number 10, where Travis read, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Listen, David is saying, God, I'm begging you to take out your magic eraser. I'm begging you to take out your bleach. I'm begging you to take out those spiritual Q-tips, if you please, and clean me. Wash me whiter than snow, is what he's saying in his review, in his repentance. He says, God, you're the one. You're the one who created the heavens and the earth. By the way, God created the heavens and the earth from nothing. David understood that God was the creator. David says, God, you're the one that creates the new man. God, I understand that soon and very soon, Jesus Christ will come and that the new man is created in Christ Jesus. God, I know that's what you do. Oh God, you're the one that makes all things new. And so God, I need you to do what only you can do. And so I'm calling upon you, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10, David asked God to create him a new heart. From David's estimation, it's not enough. It's not enough for God to do a repair job. It's not enough just to ride down the road and see the mechanic and say, hey, can you give me a fine tuning? Can you, can you, can you give me a tune-up, John? You know, can you, can you give me a tune-up so that the engine runs a little smoother? That, in David's estimation, that wasn't even an option. David says, I don't want you to repair my heart. Watch this. God, I want you to cut my heart out and give me a new heart. This is, this is my recognition of my sinfulness. God, and to be restored, I need you to cut my wicked heart, my tattered and torn heart out, and I need you to replace it with a clean heart. You say, well, why would David say that? Well, because David knew what Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 says when it says that every imagine of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. He understood Jeremiah 17, 9, which tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things desperately wicked. Well, listen, David knew that a patch job wouldn't do. In fact, 
If you look in Scripture, the Apostle Paul knew the same thing because over and over, if you look at Romans chapter 6, Galatians, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and Colossians chapter 3, and on and on, they, uh, Paul actually refers to the old man, right? He refers to the old man being crucified or put to death. And so this was nothing new in Scripture. Listen, if we're going to resolve or decide to do anything for the Lord, folks, the entirety of our old man must be replaced with an entirely new man. Oh, and that's what Jesus does. David says he needs a clean heart and a right spirit. What about us? You say, why would David say he needed a clean heart and a right spirit? I think David understood and remembered the story about Cain. You remember Cain? He was banished from the presence of God. I think David also, as being king, he was chased by who? King who? Saul. He was chased by King Saul. But I also think David is referring in his mind, in his mind's eye, he's referring to the fact that God took his hand. The Spirit of God was taken off of King Saul and an evil spirit came on King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14. The evil spirit came on King Saul and what did it do to Saul? It troubled him. Once the Spirit of the Lord came off, the evil spirit went on. And David, I think what David is saying, he's saying, listen, don't banish me. God, please don't banish me. Don't cast me away. Don't take your spirit off of me. Don't do to me, which is why he appealed for mercy. God, don't do to me what you did to Cain. Don't do to me what you did to Saul. God, I love you, and I want to serve you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind. In verse number 11, David prays that the same thing doesn't happen to him. And in verse number 12, he prays that God would restore the joy of his salvation. And I close the message with the last thing. David reviewed his situation. He needed mercy. He repents of his sinfulness. He acknowledged his transgressions in verse 3 and 4. And then he calls out in verses 7 through 12. He says, God, I need you to do the work that only you can do. You're the only one that can restore me. And then David says, when you do that, here's what I'm going to do. Look at verse 13. He announces his resolution. Oh, he announces his resolution to God in verse number 13. He says, then, he says, after all these things, then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. He said, Lord, you do what you can do, and I'm going to resolve to do what I can do. David said, the lessons that I've learned about your mercy, the lessons that I've learned about my repentance and your forgiveness, the lessons that I've learned about your supernatural ability to restore me, God, those are the things that I'm going to teach others. And notice who he says he's going to teach. David's still the king, folks. He's still the king. And notice who David says he's going to teach. I'm going to teach other people just like me, Lord. I'm going to teach other people who are transgressors. I'm going to go and teach other people who have been disobedient. I'm going to teach other people who have been sinful. And God, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to teach them. And notice here's the repercussion. And then sinners are actually going to be converted. I'll teach people who are just like me, Lord. And then guess what? They're going to see those lives change. And because they see those lives change, they're going to be more willing to listen to your word. And sinners are going to be converted. Oh my goodness, you want to make a New Year's resolution? How about resolving to do what David did? David said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach other people just like me what you have taught me, Lord. I'm going to teach them. And guess what? I know that you're going to bless. And I know that sinners are going to be converted. I was thinking all week, 
and I know we have a service schedule, and I know we plan out our music in advance, but I couldn't help thinking all week about that song, I Am Resolved. Let me read it for you. The hymn writer says, I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one. He is the just one. He has the words of life. I am resolved to follow the Savior. Not only is he going to go to the Savior, he says, I'm resolved to follow the Savior. Faithful and true each day. Heed what he saith, do what he willeth. He is the living way. He says, I am resolved. And then he says this, and who will go with me? Come, friends, without delay. Taught by the Bible, led by the Spirit, we will walk that heavenly way. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I will hasten, hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. Before we make any New Year's resolutions, we should decide to end this year. Let's decide to end this year. Right now, it's December 30th. Let's be honest for one time with God. December the 30th. Let's resolve. Let's, let's do this. Let's end this year and begin next year with a clean heart. God, will you create in me a clean heart? Will you, will you renew a right spirit within me? God, as we enter into 2019, God, I need you to restore the joy of my salvation. Because see, God, if I have a clean heart and I have a right spirit, and I'm enjoying the gift of my salvation, then we'll be able to say like David said, then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Listen, if we'll honestly review how we've been living our lives, if we will truly repent of any unconfessed sin, hey, by the way, that means this way and this way, right? And if we will truly call on him to restore us, when we do those things, that's when then you and I, as David said, we'll be ready to make New Year's resolutions. And so what does the future hold for us? I'll be honest with you guys. I don't know. I'm not a soothsayer. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I know this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And if I know that, and I believe that in my heart, why wouldn't I want? Why wouldn't I want to have a clean heart before him? Why wouldn't I want to have a right spirit before my Lord and my God? And why would I not want to go out from this place and teach others all the little lessons I've learned along the way so that they too could enjoy that renewed relationship, a clean heart, a right spirit? right? And the joy of their salvation. Why would I want to do that? It only makes sense to me. And I pray it makes sense to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.